Well, hello, everyone. My name is David Apple, head of the SaaS Software Vertical here at Sage Intact, and I'm the host of this amazing podcast we built, the Modern SaaS Finance Podcast. And it was built for you, uh, CFOs, controllers, heads of FP&A, revenue ops, and other members of the finance community and fast growth SaaS companies. We discuss subscription, usage, billing models, revenue recognition, SaaS metrics, forecasting, all these key functions you need for driving the trajectory of a firm on its path to IPO. Last week was an amazing discussion with Jeff Epstein, finance operating partner at Bessemer Venture Partners on what's a great career path for a CFO. If you haven't heard that one, please do. But this one's going to be amazing. I'm so excited about this one. This one is with Adam Noyley, the managing director of KeyBank Capital Markets Technology Markets. And he and I have known each other for a long time. KeyBank, if you don't know this already, has done the most IPOs out of all the investment banks. There's so much competence and expertise there. And he and I have a series of questions we want to go through for all of you so you walk away smarter on what the IPO process looks like, what's in your control in order to make it as successful as possible. And Adam, building on top of that, would you tell everybody about a little bit who are you and who's KeyBank Capital Markets? Hi, David. Great to be with you today. So, uh, first of all, thanks for hosting me. Um, This (laughs) is great to do. Um, So, as you mentioned, I'm a managing director uh, with responsibility for covering enterprise software at uh, KeyBank Capital Markets. I'm based in San Francisco and have been with the firm for nearly a decade now. Um, For those of you who don't know us, Key is one of the largest bank-based financial services companies in the United States. Um, I think we're at $186 billion in assets Mm. at the end of last year, (laughs) 17,000 employees, you know, $20 billion plus market cap. Um, But that's, you know, Key Bank with a K, Key Bank C, the investment bank, um, is the investment banking arm of Key. And uh, within that, the technology group uh, has been a, a very key part, no pun intended, of our overall investment banking efforts for, for very years. We're exceptionally active. Um, as you mentioned, within software, certainly we've done uh, and been a participant in more IPOs uh, than any other bank on the street, nearly 90, I think 89 as of last count over the last decade. Um, wow. And our, wow. yeah, it's a, it's wow. a big number. Um, And and our SaaS franchise, which is what we're particularly known for, um, has been kind of built up over that time frame uh, on a foundation of intellectual capital around the business model, metrics. You know, many of your listeners might be familiar with our annual survey. Uh, I'm the primary author of that survey uh, of privately held SaaS companies, which benchmarks their performance and goes really, really deep into the operating model. But that is not my day job. Um, I am not focused on the surveys. Uh, I am focused on getting great deals done for our clients, whether mm-hmm. that's an IPO, uh, another transaction in the equity capital markets, uh, advising them on either a capital raise or a sale of the company to a financial sponsor or a strategic, and then um, helping our clients out with uh, debt capital markets and mm-hmm. leveraging our balance sheet as well. Mm-hmm. And so much expertise. But so uh, what do you tell your clients is important as they prepare for their IPOs? Yeah. So 
Um, I think that it's important to think through uh, their their preparedness and their readiness through a few different lenses, right? There's the internal lens, there's um, the external lens, and then there's kind of who are going to be your partners in executing your IPO. So I'll double click on each one of those. In Internally, uh, there's a ton of work to be doing around IPO readiness, right? You want to have your systems in place, your financials and your audits and tightening up your quarterly close process. You want to be ready from a legal and a regulatory perspective. Um, and then you want to start internally acting like a public company. Mm -hmm. So that means getting your forecasting down really, really tightly. Uh, maybe doing internal quarterly calls as if you were going to be doing an actual earnings call. Uh, and then making sure that you've got the right team to support you. And I think that's especially important for uh, companies that have either a CEO or a CFO that is a first time public company CEO <laughs> or CFO. Making sure that you know, that layer beneath you has been there and done that and gone through this process before and knows what it takes to be ready, right? So that, that's all on the internal uh, side of things. There's another aspect of that uh, around SaaS metrics and what non-GAAP disclosures you're gonna make. And we can talk more about that if you like. Well, I, but, I, yeah. Yeah, but then externally, right? You wanna make sure that well in advance of the IPO that your company has the visibility that it will need when it uh, reaches the public markets. That means getting the story out there, talking to investors that are primarily public markets, investors, public equities, uh, institutional investors, making sure that they know you, they understand your market, that they know, start to get to know the team. You can achieve that at conferences like our Emerging Tech Summit, which we just concluded uh, earlier this week, our first in-person event in two years. And then, you know, lastly, I think you want to be thinking about who your partners are. Mm -hmm. So the banks you're going to be working with as a part of the syndicate and who you want in which role and why, who, which counsel you're going to be working with. If you're, if you're working with an IPO advisor, et cetera. Well, it's just amazing foundational work for everybody, right? Is playing that backwards is uh, who are your partners to help guide you through the process? What's your executive team and the experience that they have in order to go through that? What are the, uh, how do you build the rigor in the company to have a predictable forecast and start reporting that way well ahead of time? How do you have the right process in place, technology platform to meet the audit compliance and the reporting needs that you have? So that's all the great foundational work as you're doing it. So let's, let's get into that reporting part a little bit further since we're talking to finance folks here. What advice do you have to the executives about how to start preparing their SaaS and other non-GAAP metrics? Yeah, so I mean, this is a really interesting area where we tend to lean in very heavily mm. in working with our public markets clients and in particular CFOs and their finance organizations. Um, you know, when you're opting to disclose certain non-GAAP metrics, whether they're a SaaS metric or another non-GAAP metric in your, uh, in your S1, in your prospectus, uh, those are numbers that are not part of GAAP, right? So it's, it's not something that the auditors are going to take a look at. This is something that you're really fundamentally defining and then certifying yourself. 
Um, the guidance that we provide is to make sure that those metrics are, are meaningful describers of an underlying business dynamic, right? And so uh, if you take, for example, something like net dollar retention and look at the definition of each company's net dollar retention as they've described it in the MDNA of their S1, what you'll find is that virtually every company describes it in a different way. And that's because they're trying to capture what's really happening in the business. Getting that right and making sure that you're describing the dynamic that you really want to make a core part of the overall story and the investment thesis is really critical. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, let's say that you're a company that has both SMB customers and enterprise customers. And the history of your company was that you were founded lower, you know, down in the SMB, kind of lower middle market. But over time, you've been transitioning up market. And that's where a lot of the growth is. You may very well want to have a non-GAAP metric, a net dollar retention rate, um, a cohort analysis that really focuses only on those customers that you're focused on today, because that's where the growth is, that's what the market will care about, that's what investors care about, and that's what you as operators of the company care about, as Mm -hmm. opposed to say, capturing the entire base, which may look very different. And Adam, where can people go in order to learn more about the research that you've done on SaaS metrics? Yeah, you can find our entire library of SaaS resources and metric resources at www.key.com forward slash SAS. Because there's so many different ways to calculate the non-GAAP metrics. We could spend the whole conversation on that. But folks, uh, Adam and I have done a specific webinar on this, on, on uh, just search on it as a key bank and Sage Intact metrics about how different ways to calculate the metrics for yourself. But let's, let's move into this because is so you, we put that infrastructure in place. We're, we're thinking about how to prepare the non-GAAP metrics, which again, could be hours of conversation, but what should our audience think about in order to draft the S1? Well, I think, you know, so you have your metrics um, and what's critical is that your metrics are uh, deeply integrated into the overall story of the company your positioning of the company, what the future of the company is, so that you're giving investors real transparency uh, into what's going to be driving the overall opportunity for them. Um, And then another critical aspect of that is actually drafting out your whole business section. Uh, You know, within the inner workings of an IPO process, you'll spend hours debating over the right words and how do we really describe our business? It's amazing how even very mature, sophisticated businesses, you know, it takes them, it takes them a long time to really find exactly the right words in order to communicate um, how they want to talk about their business. And I think that that is a process that is really aided by having some differentiated voices, right? Uh, Your lead left investment bank, um, normally one of the largest investment banks on the street, will be probably holding the pen and being very, very influential 
but you want other perspectives as well, right? You want folks around the table that have the muscle memory of working with tens and tens of companies. You know, I personally work on 55 enterprise software IPOs, and it's always helpful to have somebody around the table who says, ah, I remember how we did it, you know, six years ago with this company, and this is how we described it, and this is why, and that worked really well. And sometimes the folks from your lead left may not have had that experience, maybe a little bit more junior, don't have that reaching all the way back. So you want different voices as you're drafting that document. Yeah, it's, it's it, you know, you talk about all of, with every round of funding, what's the story of the company? So what's the TAM uh, you know, what stage are they in self-actualization on needing something new? What's unique on what you take the, you know, the hopes you fulfill, the pains you take away in doing that. And then what's your operating model in order to engage that market with, you know, the sales efficiency and then expense exposure, it's going to do all that. And so it's that story with that data in order to draft that. And it's so key because there's that old Winston Churchill quote, I would have written a shorter letter, but I didn't have the time. Putting in the time to take everything into like the most succinct version of it is so critical with doing it. So investors who may not be the expert in your market that you are can be an expert to grok that it's yeah. a business I, idea. I, I, yeah, I don't know that every business section is necessarily succinct, but <laughs> in fact, having, having written and read many of them, they tend to, uh, to air the other way. Um, you got to capture a lot there um, about the business, but you definitely do want to find exactly the right words to do it. And you, you do want to, within the regulatory you know, constraints of what that document it is, and it is a, it is a, a legal document, you really do want to you know, accurately and and uh, uh, communicate, you know, the, the spirit of the company. Yeah. So, that's so, so then let's go this in. Sometimes a CEO and a board have to weigh the choice of a IPO and acquisition mm-hmm. versus an acquisition. How should they go about doing that? Well, you know, every company is always for sale. It's just a question of, of price. Um, I, what we advise our clients is, look, if you are, optimizing your performance, both from a financial standpoint, from an IPO readiness standpoint, um, to be ready to be a public company, you will have, you know, a much better set of alternatives if and when um, you are approached by a potential acquirer. Um, So just being there and knowing that you have the option to go public and to be in a compelling and an interesting a uh, company that public market investors are interested in is going to be probably far and away the one thing you can do that will maximize shareholder value. Hmm. Hmm. Do you see, um, are there different multiples that happen there because it's public versus acquisition or just depends on the situation? It really depends on the situation. You know, um, each board is going to make that call when they're presented with an offer, they're going to look at what the alternative is in the public markets where pricing is likely to come in, and then they're going to ultimately make a decision. And sometimes that happens in a very dramatic fashion. If you think back to, you know, what happened with Qualtrics and SAP, it was, you know, at the end of a roadshow, right? So, um, you know, that, that can, that can happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. 
uh, at a very late stage, and you're just going to have to to have the board make that decision. What a great opportunity, though, for everybody. So, what do investors want to hear in an IPO roadshow? Well, it's it's interesting. There's going to be a, a different sets of investors that you'll be talking to on your IPO roadshow. There will be those that you already know quite well that have been following your story for a very, very long time. And that's a really important part of being ready to go public is having especially key foundational shareholders, some of the largest shareholders, the largest mutual fund complexes and long only shareholders in the public markets already be very familiar with their story. For them, the roadshow is going to be essentially confirmatory diligence on a story and a team that they already know. Now they'll have the benefit of actually being able to read the S1. They may have had a test the waters meeting uh, in advance of that, but they will be coming to you with very specific questions about what has been disclosed in the S1. For other investors, the longer tail, if you will, um, and there is a very long tail of public markets investors out there, uh, they're going to be hearing the story for the first time. And so you want to communicate, you know, the excitement around uh, the investment opportunity that the, that the board and the management team has. Yeah. I mean, it's we're back to everything we've talked about before. What's your infrastructure and your executive team? And then what are the metrics that tell the success of the model? And then how do you tell the story of the company, which investors grok it? So they, they want to understand all those things. And then, you know, I think there's a funny question we got for people who haven't been through it before is, is all the action during the roadshow on the roadshow? Yeah. So um, I guess the answer is no, not really. Right. So in the background, <laughs> what you have um, are our accounts doing work, uh, talking to their salespeople um, at the various investment banks, getting feedback, uh, doing calls with with uh, research analysts, um, thinking through the the company and what's been disclosed and building out their own models, and then ultimately kind of coming back, providing various indications of where they're leaning in. And there's so there's a lot of there's a lot of information that your team of banks is going to be collecting, certainly on the sales side in through the equity capital markets teams about which accounts are really leaning in. That becomes super important as you start to think through uh, from the company's standpoint about which investors will be receiving which allocations in an IPO, right? Um, you wanna make sure that the folks you're allocating more shares to are those that really do understand and have deep conviction around the long-term opportunity for the company and that they're gonna be great shareholders in the aftermarket that ideally will take that IPO allocation and continue to build on it over the long run. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think that's great insights for everybody as to the work that really goes on around this as you tell their story because the road show somewhat the forcing function uh, to engage the investors, but there's so much that happens around that with, again, of course, the compliance and the law of the guidelines that you need to follow within all this. So let's wrap up with this. You guys just had your annual investor conference. I was there, always amazing. But what were the new insights for you that folks that might not have been able to attend can take away from what you saw? 
Yeah, it was great to see people in person. Uh, it had been so long. Uh, and there's just a, a quality of exchange that you get from having in-person meetings that you don't get um, from, uh, you know, kind of doing back-to-back -back Zoom calls. So we were thrilled to be able to host people at our Emerging Tech Summit um, earlier this week, the first one that we'd done in two years, as I mentioned. Um, some clear takeaways for me was, you know, despite all of the volatility uh, that we're seeing in the public markets and the relative quietness on the uh, IPO front as a result of that, there are some amazing private companies out there, um, just some very, very strong performers. So I think that there are going to be, uh, there's a, an active pipeline for, you know, years to come uh, in terms of great high quality enterprise software companies that could be coming to market. Um, the other piece of feedback that we got from investors was that while there's clearly a huge appetite still for high growth names, they are starting to think a little bit differently about um, what the bottom line looks like against the backdrop of a rising interest rate environment. And what we heard, first of all, I heard the word DCF coming out of the, the mouths of various public market investors for the first time in, in many years. Um, so uh, it's an indication that they really are still focused on the long-term cash flow fundamentals of these businesses. And in an environment where you do see rates going up, um, knowing that there is a clear path to profitability has become important. It doesn't mean that you need to be profitable today uh, in order to make it out into the public markets. But understanding the quality of the unit level economics and how that drives margin expansion and ultimately a path towards uh, positive free cash flow you know, is something that is very much on, on people's minds today. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, there's so much uncertainty in the market, but at the same time, a good model that, that addresses a big TAM with a valued product in a, you know, capital efficient way is there's always going to be appetite for, uh, for outcomes there. That's amazing. As we're wrapping up, any final thoughts, anything else you'd like to share? Look, this is an amazing sector. Uh, I continue to be blown away by the amount of just amazing companies that I'm still getting to know. And, you know, I'm getting to know them years before they are ever coming into the public market. So um, I guess, you know, amidst the backdrop of a rocky market, uh, I, I'm an optimist long term. <laughs> well, we covered some great stuff, for everybody. Just kind of play it back. It's who is Key Bank? Uh, what do you tell people it's important as they prepare for the IPOs? What advice on how to start prepping for their non-GAAP metrics and the great research that you guys have out there and the, and, the, and the webinars that you and I have done to help educate people on the different ways to calculate those, and getting into how to draft the S1 and a little bit of the decision between IPO and acquisition. What do folks want to see in a roadshow? You know, what's all the action that happens you know, during that? Uh, again, within the compliance and legal rules, and some great insights upon what you have observed from uh, both the companies and the 
the investors from this uh, the recent investor conference that you had. I, I equally saw some amazing companies telling some great stories and how well vest investors understand models in the SaaS space here. So they get able to get into deeper questions for everybody, for all of you attending. Thank you so much for attending. Um, and thank you, Adam, for sharing these insights, everybody. Adam's doing this because he's that type of person who wants to pay it forward to help people get their arms around how to do it. And if you're interested and you want need a good firm to help you out, certainly it's an excellent, a highly tenured firm to be able to support you. If you'd like to go further on this, we've built an online Slack community, the Modern SaaS Finance Slack community. It's simple, bit.ly slash modern SaaS finance, bit.ly slash modern SaaS finance. And join that Slack group with many of your peers in order to help each other riff on questions that you've got to do on it. We're talking about fundraising, business models, investor metrics, how to build a great team. And then if you wish, subscribe to our podcast to stay up to date with future episodes. We're available on all the major streaming platforms. We want to thank you very much for your time. Adam, thank you very much for your time. And please, Pleasure, have a, David. And please have a great day. You too. Take care.